Well, hello. Yeah, so we're going to be uh, teaching on worship today, which is the last sermon in our Spiritual Disciplines series. Um, the reason we're ending on worship, this is a spoiler alert for where we're going to end our talk today, is because actually worship is all of the spiritual disciplines. So everything that we've been looking at, prayer and giving and reading our Bible, all of that is part of our worship to God. It's not just about singing and it's not just about music either. Um, so Will and I are just going to have a conversation about worship today. Will, why don't you just introduce us for anyone in the room who doesn't know who we are? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, hello, everyone. Uh, we're Will and Mim. We lead the worship ministry here at St. Thomas's. We're also both secondary school teachers. Mim does that uh, full-time, and I do that part-time and give a couple of days a week to St. Thomas's as well. Um, and we believe that God is going to say something powerful to us today about how we worship together. And uh, I'm personally really excited for all that God is going to do. Absolutely. So just before we read the passage together, I just want to give you a brief overview of the journey that we've been on so far as St. Thomas's through these spiritual disciplines. It's been an amazing journey. We've been looking at it on Sundays and then we've been um, practicing those disciplines in our small group each week as well. So Brogan kicked us off by teaching us that actually these spiritual disciplines are a way for us to contemplate the glory of God, to think about the glory of God, and then let ourselves be transformed by his presence. And we then heard from Ben, our vicar, about how we are called to be a generous people because we serve a generous God who gave everything for us. And then I unpacked prayer, what it means to be a people of prayer and what it means to pray to our Father as well. Um, and then we had a generous helping of the spiritual discipline of giving as Lee spoke to us on it again and asked us a really challenging question, what are we holding for ourselves? And then last week, James spoke to us about reading the scriptures daily and how by opening the word of God each day, we are able to hear from the voice of God in our rooms, in our living rooms, wherever it is that we're reading the Bible. And finally, today we arrive at the spiritual discipline of worship. Now, all human beings are made to worship. We are all worshiping something. What we want to challenge you on today is who or what are you choosing to worship? Are you choosing to worship God above all else? So today is Palm Sunday and we're reading from Mark 11 verses 1 to 11 where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. So Will, can you talk us through reading the passage? Of course. Um, as we read this together today, I would like to invite us all, if you're able, to stand. Um, this passage is about Jesus arriving to Jerusalem as king. And I think it's just an important uh, act, of, a way that we can worship, especially while we cannot sing. Um, apologies for that. Um, especially as we cannot sing, that we're going to stand and we're going to worship God as king as we read his scripture to us today. I'm just going to pray shortly before we begin. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your written word we get to see the living word of Jesus Christ. We thank you that um, in this scripture we get to see you arriving as king. And Lord, would you speak to us today through this passage? Okay. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, 
Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, why are you doing that? Why are you untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Then many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, and I'm going to invite the children with their um, palm branches if they want to come out as we read this. Hosanna! Blessed is he uh, who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we explore uh, worship from this passage today, we're going to start by just giving you a bit of context um, about what we think Mark was trying to highlight through Jesus' entry to Jerusalem. Then we're going to look at who Jesus is as king, and then we're going to look at how we should respond to Jesus as king. And we're going to move through the passage chronologically, so do keep it open in front of you as we go. So in verse 1, Will's already read it, but I'll just recap it again. It says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent his two disciples ahead of him. And they're going to get that donkey um, to prepare for Jesus to come into Jerusalem. And we can often skip over these lines, I think because we want to get to the really familiar picture that we know about Palm Sunday, Jesus on the donkey riding into Jerusalem, the palm leaves, the cloaks, etc., but actually, there's some important context here that I think it's worth pausing on. So in Hebrew, the word Beth means house. So as Jesus and his disciples are walking to Jerusalem, they're passing through these two towns or these two houses, Bethphage and Bethany. And Bethphage can actually be translated as the house of unripe figs, whereas Bethany can be translated as the house of of ripe figs, or it can also be translated as the house of singing. So Will, can you share why that context is particularly significant for today? Yes, yeah, so what Mark, the writer uh, of this book, is trying to highlight to us is that Jesus is going to encounter two houses among his people, two heart positions uh, in his people. And those are those who are ready to hear his message and to accept him as king, um, those who are figuratively in Bethany, uh, but also those who are not ready to hear his message, not ready to receive him as king, those in Bethphage. And we believe that God wants to bring that challenge to us today as well. Will we today accept him or not accept him as king? Yeah, what a great question. And God, I just pray that you would um, open up our hearts, open up our ears to hear from you today. As you challenge us, would you make our hearts ready to hear what you have to say to us today? 
So there's that really important question, will we or will we not accept Jesus as king? And actually, there's another piece of context that I just want to pause on um, before we move on in the passage as well. And that's the kind of biblical context of what Jesus has been teaching about on his approach to Jerusalem. So just before he gets here and enters the city and is worshipped as king, um, he's been teaching his people uh, a variety of different parables. And actually, these parables we studied back in November. I don't know if you guys will remember, we did a sermon series on authority, and we looked at some really challenging parables the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the tenants, the sheep, and the goats. So, Will, again, why is this context important? Yeah, so each of these parables have a king figure or an authority figure. Uh, And when they arrive, uh, there's a crisis of decision for them. And there are two groups of people, those who are for the king or the authority figure and those who are against the king. And Jesus has been teaching these parables as he's been approaching Jerusalem. And then we see it here when he actually arrives that some will accept him and worship him and others will eventually go on to reject him and shout, turn their shouts of Hosanna to crucify Yeah, and I think this moment is happening for us today too. We need to ask ourselves the question, actually, which house is Jesus going to find us in? Are we in Bethphage, the unripe figs, or are we in Bethany, the ripe figs, ready to accept Jesus as king? And I think most of us in the room and most of us watching online as well believe that Jesus is king. And so we're thinking, well, yeah, of course we're ready. Of course we are. But actually, if we're being honest, I think a lot of us in the room, and I include myself in this as well, have had a really hard year when it comes to worshipping God. And it's really good to be honest with each other about that. In this pandemic, we haven't been able to sing together on a Sunday. We haven't been able to experience corporate worship together in the way that we're so used to. And I think actually it's likely that that will have affected, affected our individual worship lives too. So how is your worship life at the moment? And as we think about this question, the question isn't, the question isn't are we worshipping at all? But what, or maybe better, who are we worshipping? We, as Mim said at the beginning, we are beings that are created to worship. We are always worshipping something. It's the cry of our hearts. Uh, And it's been hard to engage with worshipping God for a lot of us during this pandemic, especially with uh, being outside of our comfort zones of musical worship that we've been used to, that we've not been able to sing together, which has been really, really hard. But this is why we're looking at the spiritual disciplines. All of the disciplines we've explored together refocus us on our worship to God rather than our worship of other things. So who are you worshipping at the moment? What are you worshipping? What is taking priority in your life? Okay, so we'll have a look at what kind of a king Jesus is um, and who he reveals himself to be on Palm Sunday. So we're going to zoom in on verses 2 to 7. I'll read them out in just a second. But what we see here is three characteristics of Jesus that are revealed through him riding on the donkey. We see his holiness, we see his humility, and we see his majesty. So Jesus says this, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. 
untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, surely enough, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. So Will, how does this riding, this act of riding on the donkey reveal these characteristics of Jesus, his holiness, his humility, and his majesty, his kingship, essentially? And also, how do these characteristics, which I think actually are kind of mutually exclusive to be a king and also to be humble, how do they combine in Jesus? Yeah, there's some great questions. Well, Jesus riding in on the donkey um, is a sign of, firstly, his holiness. Um, He chooses a colt, which is the foal of a donkey, which has never been ridden before. And just like Jesus is uh, without sin, this donkey is innocent and pure. So Jesus is highlighting here that he is holy, he's set apart, and that because of this, he is the one who is able to take away our sins. Jesus also rides in on a donkey as a sign of his humility. Of all the methods of travel that he could have chosen, he chose a donkey. And we would expect royalty, remember Jesus is arriving as king here, we would expect royalty to arrive on horses or on chariots, but this doesn't happen um, because Jesus is our servant king who made himself lowly and made himself last so that we could be first. He made himself low that we could be raised up. And he suffered and died on our behalf so that we can have freedom from suffering and death. Now lastly, Jesus rides in on the donkey as a sign of his majesty. Jesus demonstrates his authority because he commandeers this donkey. He is reminding us that he is the son of God. He was there at the beginning of everything, when everything was created. Everything belongs to Jesus. In verse 11, it says that Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts, and then he looked around at everything. And this is the same word in the Greek uh, that is used in Colossians 1, where it talks about Jesus creating all things. By him, all things are made. And so Jesus is going into the temple and he's looking at everything and it belongs to him because he created it. So Jesus has authority over all things. But remember, Jesus in his majesty, in his authority, is not a dictator, but a king of mercy, of grace, and of love. And he is coming in authority so that he can give his life to save our lives. And as you pointed out, Mim, we often think of these traits as mutually exclusive, power and meekness. But in Jesus, they are made whole and complete. Um, I think Tim Keller summarizes it really, really well. And he says in his book, The King's Cross, in Jesus, we find infinite majesty, yet complete humility. Perfect justice, yet boundless grace. Absolute sovereignty, yet utter submission. All sufficiency in himself, yet entire dependence on God. This is who Jesus is. He is holy, he is humble, and he is majestic. 
Okay, so we've given you a bit of context for the passage. We've looked at who Jesus reveals himself to be. Now we're going to think about how do we respond to Jesus, this holy king, this humble king, this majestic king. So to bring us back to the passage, Jesus has just got onto his donkey. It's covered in the cloaks of his disciples. And let's look at how the crowd reacts to him. So we're reading verses 8 to 10. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they'd cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So the crowd choosing to spread their cloaks on the floor is actually evidence that they're declaring Jesus as king. This was a cultural practice for the people of Israel. We've seen them do it before, back in the Old Testament. For example, in 2 Kings 9, there's a crowd of Israelites who lay down their cloaks on the floor for the new king, Jehu, to walk over just when he's been anointed as the king of Israel. So actually, in the act of laying down their cloaks, they are showing that they believe that Jesus is king. So why do we think that this is a significant moment in the story, Will? Yeah, well, when they choose to lay down their cloaks before Jesus, they are making a declaration of worship of him as king. And this is a huge statement for them to make because neither the Romans, who are occupying Jerusalem at the time, nor the Jewish leaders want the crowds to acknowledge Jesus as king. And they are actually applying pressure for the crowds to stop worshipping. We can see this in another gospel account in Luke. The Pharisees are asking Jesus to rebuke his disciples for praising them. And actually, Jesus' response is that if the people did not praise, the rocks themselves would cry out in worship. Tom Wright says this about worshipping Jesus. It is the most politically charged act we could ever perform. There's a lot of discussion at the moment about our Uh, right to process. I'm not going to comment on that, but what I will say is that that is not uh, the most politically charged act we could do. Worshipping Jesus is. And Christians, Christian worship declares that Jesus is Lord, and that therefore, by strong implication, no one else is. It commits the worshipper to allegiance, to following Jesus, to being shaped, and to being directed by him. Yeah, what a powerful moment that they are choosing to worship Jesus in this political context where actually they're being pressured not to. And even if they didn't, the rocks themselves would cry out and worship Jesus as king. And actually, I can see some parallels with our culture today. I know that we aren't ruled by a really violent Roman empire, but actually we can still find ourselves in these environments where we feel like we aren't allowed to share our faith or we aren't allowed to declare Jesus as king for fear of persecution or for fear of causing offence. So it might be around friends and family members who are easily offended and defensive when we bring up the gospel. Or it might be in workplaces where there is this sort of silent, unspoken pressure not to engage in religion in the workplace and not to talk about ethics. Or it might be at university where we can feel like declaring Jesus might actually isolate us and brand us as being intolerant towards others. 
but there is a call on our lives to acknowledge Jesus as king in front of other people. We are called to make this political statement that ultimately Jesus is the only holy king. He is the humble king. He's the majestic king and no one else is. Yeah, and for the Jewish people, Jesus is also the Messiah king. Uh, And this is a really important term to get to grips with. The people of God have been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds of years And Messiah literally means the anointed one, anointed with oil. And it's the one that the Jewish people believed that God was going to send to them to deliver them. And when they hear that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for the festival period, um, there would have been a sense of anticipation among them that the Messiah is coming. They've heard of this man of Nazareth who is a prophet, who is teaching with authority like no one else has done, who is performing miracles And who some are saying is this promised king, this Messiah that is going to come and save them. And they are excited to see who Jesus is. And when they see him riding into the city on a donkey, they will immediately realize that he is the Messiah king. And that they've been waiting for so long. And so something erupts within them and they shout, Hosanna, which means save. And so what we want to ask is how did they recognize that he was Messiah? Well, actually, it was a fulfillment of a prophesied word in scripture from Zechariah 9. And we're just going to read um, a small part of that prophecy now. So it says, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So it's from the scriptures that the crowds would have recognized Jesus as Messiah King. Here he is on the donkey, on uh, lowly and riding in. And what an amazing moment it would have been to have witnessed that in history. I sometimes wonder what it would have been like to have been there in the presence of Jesus uh, in that moment where the crowds are shouting, Hosanna. Yeah, and I... It's one of the things that I find most beautiful about the Bible is how intricately the coming of Jesus was foretold. There are countless prophecies again and again prophesying really specific details about Jesus's birth and his life and his death as well. And we see that here, him riding on this donkey. The choice that Jesus made to ride this donkey is Jesus saying, guys, this is it. I am your Messiah and I'm here to save you. But we started this sermon talking about Bethphage and Bethany. That was the house of unripe figs and the house of ripe figs. And here it looks like the people of God are ready to receive Jesus as king. They're shouting, they're praising, they're singing, they're laying their cloaks down on the floor and declaring that this is their king. But the thing is, a week later, if you're familiar with the story, some of this very same crowd are shouting, crucify. They're fickle, they've done a 180, they've changed their mind. So what's going on? Yeah, well, the problem here is that the crowd is focused on their immediate circumstances. They are excited about Jesus as the Messiah King, uh, but only because they want a temporal deliverer to save them from the Roman occupation of Israel. This is who they believe Jesus is to be. And actually, they're a little bit short-sighted. Uh, It becomes very clear very quickly uh, that Jesus is not in Jerusalem for a physical battle or a physical rebellion. He's not stirring up the crowds to overthrow the Romans. 
And when they discover that Jesus is not to bring the kingdom through might and power, but actually through his love, his humility and sacrifice, the crowd's shouts change, the crowd's shouts change from Hosanna uh, to crucify. Okay, so to put it another way, the crowd then is treasuring Jesus's power and might over his presence. So their worship is conditional. They'll only worship God if he delivers them in the way that they want. And in doing so, they miss out on so much that they're unaware of. Jesus is not simply here to change their external circumstances or our external circumstances. He does so much more than that. He's here to bring internal transformation. It's about a spiritual transformation to bring a freedom from bondage that we can't necessarily see. Mm, yeah, and this is this response uh, to declare Jesus as king conditionally and then change their minds was foretold by Jesus. Jesus knew that some of the crowds would respond this way and that we can still respond in this conditional way today. We can often find ourselves wanting Jesus for his power over our circumstances rather than just treasuring him for his presence. Jesus asks us to lay more than just our cloaks in surrender to him, but to acknowledge him as king by laying down our lives. And in that place of surrender, that is where God brings transformation and freedom in our lives. So we need to ask ourselves that hard question today. Do we submit to Jesus as king over our lives? Or is our worship of God conditional? Do we treasure his power more than his presence? And thank God that there is grace for us. Because I know that Will and I, as we were preparing this talk, we were so challenged that actually we find ourselves slipping into this conditional worship way too often. We find ourselves being fickle. We find ourselves being too busy and, and finding it too hard to worship. And we pray to God and we ask him to help us by his power. And we intercede for our own specific situations, knowing that we can't do it without God. And we rely on God's power in our life, but actually we forget to attend to his presence. We want Jesus for his power. And by the grace of God, he gives us his power but we forget to worship in his presence. But the thing is, if we find ourselves slipping into this place, which we definitely have before, we are not stuck there forever. But Jesus reaches down into the pit and he pulls us out of it. And the Holy Spirit convicts us and sets us back onto the right path. So I wanna take a moment just to ask the Holy Spirit to convict us if there's anything that we need to repent of in our worship lives? Do we find ourselves valuing Jesus's power over his presence? Do we find ourselves worshiping God conditionally for the things that we think we need and desire rather than just out of a place of love for who Jesus is? So I'm just going to give us a moment to call to mind what we need to say sorry for before God. And then we're going to pray together.
So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are merciful and gracious. We're sorry for when our worship is conditional. We're sorry for when we value your power and your miracles over your presence as King. We're sorry for when we come with our own agenda and our own desires and then stop worshipping you if they're not met or you're not working in the way that we expect. God, forgive us. And Holy Spirit, teach us to worship you entirely. Would you help us to surrender to your will and not our own? Jesus, we declare that you are King over our lives. Have your way in us. Amen. We cannot sing. How can we be a part of the house of figs, the, uh, the place of Bethany in this story? How can we be a house of singing when things look so different from normal? And actually, there, there is actually nothing we can do other than surrender to God. It is He who changes and readies our hearts. So we give God the space to transform us through the spiritual disciplines. That's where we've been journeying over the past six weeks. We invite God in through these practices that we've been learning together. And the reason we've ended with worship this part of Sunday is because all of the disciplines we've been looking at are worship. So we might not be able to sing, but actually we can day by day, week by week, we can, uh, we can do these practices. But as we're doing them, we don't just go through the motions. We treasure God's presence as we do it. We come into God's presence and we say, Lord, we surrender our lives to you as King. We've got written here that, that our giving is our worship to God, that our praying is our worship to God, that reading our Bibles is worship God. It's to worship God, to fast, to Sabbath, to have fellowship, to feast. All of the disciplines that we do, everything we do in our life is an act of worship. And it's not just about singing. Singing is good for the soul. Singing is a good expression. But actually, singing is just an expression of a deeper work that's going on in our hearts. So we need to find new ways to explore those expressions together as we're on the road out of lockdown. Yeah, so this brings us to our um, practice for this week. We just want to take a moment before we end our sermon just to share what that's going to be. Uh, we do a practice each week for these spiritual disciplines in our small groups. If you're not yet in a small group, just come and catch Will and I at the end or Ben and Brogan and we can get you plugged into one um, for this week. So each week we've been doing one of these practices to practice giving, to practice praying and to practice reading our Bible. And this week, we're going to ask you to spend some time on your, in your small group on Tuesday, just thinking about your rhythm 
what a normal week looks like for you and where you can actually devote time to do these spiritual disciplines as an act of worship. Eugene Peterson says this, Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. So what we're going to be doing on Tuesday is actually looking at what our week normally looks like, even in COVID times, and thinking actually where can we put in moments to interrupt our preoccupation with our day-to-day business, our jobs, our university work, and actually devote time to attend to the presence of God through prayer, through reading our Bible, through giving thanks to Him. And if this is something that's really new to you, just start with a few minutes each day. It doesn't have to be a really, really drastic thing. Start with a few minutes each day doing one thing and then build it from there. So we're going to go into a time of sung worship now. Will and I are going to sing over you. And obviously you guys can't sing. So we're going to ask you to respond in a slightly different way today um, with a kind of physical act to actually show that you are declaring Jesus as King. So what we're going to ask you to do in a moment is we want you to take your coats and we want you to lay them on the ground the same as the crowd did for Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday. And in that act, we're going to be saying, Jesus, we declare that you are King over every part of our lives. And for some of us in the room, this is something we're familiar with. We know that Jesus is King and this is just a moment to say again to God, we love you, we worship you. For some of us in the room and for some of us watching online, actually, we may never have declared Jesus as King before. This might be something that is really new to us. And if that's you, we invite you to join in with us as we lay down our coats on the floor. And then please do come and speak to Will and I afterwards or Ben and Brogan or send us a message if you're watching online because we'd love to pray with you a bit more. Okay, I'm going to take off my cardigan as representing my coat. And when you're ready, I want to ask you to just lay it down on the ground to say, actually, Jesus, you are king over my life. And what I also want to acknowledge is that Jesus knows that we can be fickle. Jesus knows that we can put on our own conditions onto our worship to him. And actually from that crowd in Jerusalem, he needs more. He asks for more than just laying down cloaks on the ground and saying that Jesus is king. But actually he asks for us to lay down our lives, to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. So the second thing I would like you to do today, if you are able, is I'd like to ask you to kneel onto your coat. If you can't kneel, stay on your chair. That's absolutely fine. And you can do this in your own time as we sing this song over you. But in that act of kneeling, you are saying, Jesus, you are King and I surrender to you. And what we're saying is that it's not about us, God, but it's about you. 
that we treasure your presence in this time. So let us just take a moment. That's simply, that's all we're doing. We're just treasuring God's presence. God is here with us.